Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. I have a confession to make. I do not know enough about learning differences. I don't really know what autism spectrum and dyslexia and ADD and ADHD and giftedness and being twice exceptional really mean. I'm woefully uneducated in these matters. That's why I brought on Jade Rivera, who has spent more than a decade working with young people who are neurodivergent and otherwise are not thriving in the traditional school systems. And Jade has created her own micro school in the San Francisco Bay Area called Sunnyside. And so she has got the practice and she's got the theory to back it up. And Jade's neurodivergent herself, which is something we jump into at the end of the episode. And so please enjoy as Jade helps me to understand all these different terms and labels and how they're dealt with in school and outside of school and how she herself is dealing with this in a really innovative way. Enjoy. My guest today is Jade Rivera. Welcome, Jade. Thank you. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you here. Who are you, Jade? Why are we here today? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like you said, I'm Jade Rivera. I live in Oakland, California, and I am a micro school builder. I'm the founder and lead educator for Sunnyside Micro School in Oakland, California. And I'm the author of Micro Schools, Creating Personalized Learning on a Budget. Um, so a few other things, but those aren't necessarily important for our purposes here. But, um, but yeah, I'd say that's me in a nutshell. Um, I just really, base, I mean, the, oh, the sort of impetus for all of those projects is that I just love how people learn and how they communicate and how they connect. And I want to be around that and experiencing that and learning about that as much as possible. Mm. So I'd say mm. that's kind of who I am. All right. You love learning. So why aren't you a teacher, I, Jade? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I am. <laughs> I think I am a teacher. You know, a teacher like, um, mo like most people would think of a teacher. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that um, <clears throat> I, looking back now on my life, I realized that I was a natural educator. I was a teacher my whole life. I was the oldest in my family. I um, tutored. I all, you know, I tutored all through a little bit through high school and all through college. Um, <clears throat> I, I love one thing people, a lot of people don't know about me is that I love to teach kids how to swim. I've mm. taught swim lessons. And, um, but when I was in college going, becoming a teacher in like a conventional school just felt so out of reach to me. And I was actually just talking to my friend about this, my friend, Sarah, how, you know, and this isn't, and when I was talking to her, I'm, I'm now a little bit worried that people felt I minimized the situation, but, um, and th so this is not to minimize all that teachers do at all. But for me, like baseline is that I need to be able to use the restroom whenever I want to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah. let's start that, that, that's there. That's a basic human work you know, up, you right? Know? And the basic thing of dignity. There are, yeah. There are beautiful, wonderful professionals all over this country, all over this world that can't do that is just I mean, I don't know how I, I don't know how I could enter into that to take care of myself. And also it breaks my heart that there are a lot of people, you know, at, people who love education, people who love learning as much as I do that are in that situation. Hmm. So hmm. that's why, that's baseline why I'm not a teacher. And <laughs> then just add on top of that, like all of the not, not being able to lead your own classroom, um, the rigidity, 
um, the rules that, you know, the arbitrary rules um, and the sort of the lack of respect and lack of pay. I mean, gosh, why is anyone a teacher? <laughs> but, but it you starts know? with needing to go pee. It starts with that. <laughs> it starts with urination. That's what my grandmother always told me. Um, really? Wow. No, no. Um, so, Jade, we met when I gave a talk at Sunnyside Micro School. And, yeah. Um, and you specialize in working with gifted and twice exceptional kids. That's correct. And yeah. that's what your micro school is um, at least partly focused on. We're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are a big fan of the term neurodivergence. Yeah, I am. And, and that's mm-hmm. the, the theme of this episode. Uh, but before we get into all those labels, all those terms, um, you said that you were going to become a teacher. You were studying chemistry, right? I was studying chemistry. I was going to become a chemist. Um, and, and I mean, I was a, a chemist. A chemistry I teacher worked... after that or, or, or a professional no. chemist? I, I've... <laughs> Looking back on this, I crack myself up. Um, but... I thought that I would do, you know, the, I thought I was PhD track. Um, I thought I would go on to uh, get my doctorate in organic chemistry and polymer chemistry. And that would be my contribution to the world is the research that I would do. Um, I went to a really beautiful, wonderful college in Olympia, Washington called the Evergreen State College. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really believe that they're, for anybody interested, I really believe that their science program is one of the like best kept secrets in the country. Um, and I went there thinking I would be a humanities creative writing. Um, you know, that would be the focus of my time there. And I ended up in chemistry and loving it be just because it was so, it was so wonderfully creative there and collegial and a real community. And that was probably the first time I'd had that in a learning experience. Mm. And so, um, so I was like, yes, I want to do this for the rest of my life. This is fun as hell. Um, excuse my mouth. Um, and, um, and then I got out into the like the workaday world. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is very different. And I tried and I tried, but really it was the culture of chemistry that that um that begged me to leave. Mm. I just was um I just you, you know, I I uh I really believe in community and I really believe in friendship and um working hard and working together for a common goal. And um unfortunately most chemists don't come at it from that mindset. <laughs> So I had to, I had to leave. And, um, and then I fell into, I became the chemistry teacher at a small micro school, although we weren't calling them that at the time. And um, I just sort of fell into this world and it was love at first sight and never looked back. And what did that job look like? In a moment, I'll ask you to define micro school, but but what did Mm -hmm. that just look like that first job? It was so great. Um, the the director of that of that place she hired me to be the chemistry teacher and um kind of just on a hunch and within maybe four or five days of being there i was brought on as a lead educator because i just immediately connected with the students and could immediately see how to sort of how to execute um, an an unconventional learning experience um, uh, improvisationally, and um, that's something that a lot of 
<clears throat> that's something that had proven difficult for many people before me. Hmm. And, um, and so I stayed and I just gave my whole heart to it and learned a lot and made a lot of mistakes. And, um, how big was just, your class? Jane? Yeah, it was great. Well, it was a whole, it was interesting because it was a whole sort of multi-age experience where I would take youngers. I had maybe like 10 youngers and then there was a middle age group and then an older age group. And we would kind of do our own thing in the mornings and then come together um, throughout ver in various times of the day and to have sort of group learning experiences. And so it was like, you know, I had my crew, but then the whole crew is my crew because it was really only like 30 kids, 20, 30 kids. Uh, only so. 20 or 30 kids in the whole school. Yeah, sphere. yeah. Got it. Yeah. And so... Um, so you couldn't have had more than 20 or 30 in your class. Yeah. <laughs> so, so super small and um, yeah, and there were a lot of adults around as well. So okay, a lot of support. Okay, so this is a micro school where you got hired, even if you were not using that term back then. Yes. How do you right. define micro school? Now, we did a whole episode on this with Lisa Betts Lacroix about micro schooling in the Bay Area. She is wonderful. Um, yeah. How do you, what's your elevator pitch for micro schooling? To me, an elevator pitch for micro schooling is uh, so 150 people or less. So, based on Dunbar's number and mm -hmm. the um, amount of people that you're able to have meaningful connection with and feel accountable to um, in a positive way, um, and delivers a highly specialized education experience. So, a specific education for a specific sort of user or audience, and has the um, to, and this is this is where the roads sort of part a little bit in terms of how people define micro schools. To me, a micro school is also something that you can attend part time. Mm. Um, That's my understanding also. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I I think that that is part of the special sauce of what makes them cool. And so um, I really I I I try to hammer that home. Like yes, the part time option, the part time option, particularly for my kind of student. So. So yeah, that's how I loosely define a micro school. Oh, they're also run in sort of like a very economically lean way. So in order to like try to increase access and equity okay. in the community, um, that's that that part is also very important to me that people understand that it's not about having like all the everything. It's about the connection and the space. There's no fancy campuses with micro schools. They are no. Living but out if somebody of church wants to give me a million dollars rooms. to make yeah. one, I'll take it. <laughs> right, I'm in the same boat with you. Um, okay, so you have a, a micro school in Oakland, and mm -hmm. you just mentioned um, your students or your demographic. Who are yeah. uh, the young people who you have specialized working with? So my students are. Um, they fall under, I mean, my students are probably some of the most heavily sort of labeled um, and sort of, uh, I don't know that this is a word. Well, anyway, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> the most sort of labeled children in the whole world, I think. So we talk about them being gifted. We talk about them being twice exceptional, neurodivergent. And then there's a, beneath that umbrella, there's this whole sort of subset of diagnoses, right? Like ADHD, autism, 
um, central auditory processing disorder, things, things of that nature that are kind of like give each neurodivergent kid <clears throat> their own kind of special flavor. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the students that I work with. Um, yeah. Great. And you just threw out a number of terms there that I would love to get a definition for. And and I have a, a limited amount of experience in this realm. Uh, right mm -hmm. after high school, I worked at a summer camp that was for special needs uh, mm -hmm. kids, which included um, kids with diagnosed autism and Asperger's. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, um, I, I suspect that I've mostly been working with um, neurotypical kids, mm -hmm. aside from mm -hmm. the... Uh, every once in a while, dyslexic um, or labeled ADD, ADHD uh, young people who seem to thrive outside of the, the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and so please address me as if I know nothing um, or, well, or very little. Well, that's the thing though, Blake, is, and this is something that you and I talked about at our, in our last conversation uh -huh. that was face-to-face, -face, is that a lot of people think, oh, like, I don't know how to work with that kid, or I've never worked with those kids. And what I say to them is, yes, you have. You just didn't mm. know it. And maybe they didn't know it either. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. a lot of these things go undiagnosed and they're mm. all sort of a spectrum of, of kind of presentable or identifiable symptoms, so mm. to speak. And so what's one thing that I really push for is I want people to realize that these are, these people are all around you. You're mm. working with them all the time and maybe you just think they're a jerk <laughs> or maybe you just think they're odd uh -huh. Or maybe you think they're lazy. Hmm. So um, that is, that's something that I really want people to sort of reevaluate how they kind of interpret children mm -hmm. in general to make space for that neurodivergent piece. Um, because invisible disabilities do exist. And unfortunately, they do get labeled as those kind of negative behaviors that I just listed. Mm -hmm. And let's start with that term, neurodivergent. Um, mm -hmm. Can you please explain what that means and its opposite, neurotypical? Yeah, so neurodivergent, we start with kind of brain chemistry, brain function, brain wiring. These people um, have a kind of a, a brain anatomy or brain makeup that is atypical. It's different from the norm. And um, that leads them to experience the world in an atypical fashion, um, you know, different than, different than what most people are experiencing. And so, so neurodivergent, so a different kind of brain. Okay. Um, and that's kind of, that's like the most kind of generous um, definition that I've been able to cobble together you know, it's, I mean, I find myself in this super ambiguous world and I thrive there and I love it. Um, but it's difficult for a lot of people in that I don't have like a, I don't have a definition that you can like reference for this. It's more of a experience hmm. and an understanding and something that, um, is understood through the, through the one-on-one -on -one connection that we have with each other. Um, so you're going to make yeah. my, you're going to make it hard for me to pull a definition <laughs> out of you. I see. Yeah, um, it's hard. But I mean, basically like the, what I said at the beginning of when I was answering your question is my, is my go-to definition. And I hope it provides a little bit of insight. So, uh, what about the idea that everyone is experiences the world differently? Um, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. 
why do we need a label that's that's called neurotypical uh, and yeah. and a label called neurodivergent? Wh- wh- where's the boundary there between we're all different, we all experience the world differently, and then some people experience it to a higher order, to a, a much larger degree of difference? Mm-hmm. I think it has to do with your ability to connect with each other, to learn and to sort of like present in a in a in a culturally acceptable way mm, okay. that makes it so you move through the world with you know not that saying that neurotypical people move through the world with ease but it's built for them and so um, I think that neurodivergent people they are having they typically are having a more difficult time moving through the world moving through the milestones that a lot of people, um, a, a lot of people, it's very natural that they would grasp them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, we're getting there. We're okay, getting closer. Cool. All right, cool. And also just, there's a level of anxiety and that and depression that um, arises because of that sort of not fitting in, not, not being seen, mm-hmm. not being heard, not having the world designed for you in, in any way, really. And so, um, so that's, that's one way that you can sort of begin to be like, I think this is a neurodivergent, I think you're having a neurodivergent experience. Um, yeah. Okay. What are the, the labels most typically applied in terms of diagnosed conditions to neurodivergent people? Well, I think autism is the big one. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I would love, like, just to make a little plug here, there is a movement called Actually Autistic, and I don't feel comfortable speaking on behalf of autistic people because I'm not autistic. But there are a lot of, like, really amazing people out there speaking on from a firsthand sort of first-person point of view about what it's like to be neurodivergent or autistic and moving through this world. And um, I wish that more people would, would talk to them about that. Okay. And that's called actually autistic. Um, yeah, it's the hashtag actually autistic. You can find it all over Twitter, um, different places. Tumblr's a great there's a big community on Tumblr. Cool. Um, Instagram. So um so yeah, I really want to suggest that people check that out um and learn kind of firsthand from them what their experience is like. But um autism is definitely the one that kind of seemed to open up this concept of neurodivergence and neurodiversity because our popular understanding of autism is just constantly evolving and changing and it just becomes more and more of a spectrum. And, um, and so it's like, it became a, this label doesn't work for everybody who experiences this constellation of symptoms in one form or another. And so we need to come up with something that is more kind of inclusive of that experience. And so that's where neurodiversity and neurodivergent came, came mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. how it came to be. And under the umbrella of autism, there's Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a diagnosis anymore. Okay. Um, but it is something that you will hear people talk about. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm never going to tell a person oh, you shouldn't use that word anymore. You know, especially a person who is um, living with, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, who is that? I'm not going to tell them the label that they should use to identify with or the words that they should, the terms that they should use to identify with at all. That's not my place. But um, 
but yeah, so that's not a term that I use anymore. Um, although you will hear it used okay. um, because it's not, um, it's on, I could talk forever about this, but <laughs> I'll, I'll let it go for now. Okay. And then um, there's ADD and ADHD, there's dyslexia yeah. and epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Are these all under the umbrella of neurodivergence? They sure are. Yeah, they mm-hmm. sure are. Um, mainly because as popular understanding of them increases, we're seeing more and more that all of these things are a spectrum. And it depends, it really depends on your kind of, your your brain design. So your ability to process, your ability to remember um, your ability to execute. Um, those, those are really the things that we're talking about when we talk about all of these labels, mm-hmm. you know, at the heart, at the center of it, what we're talking about is that. And, um, and that is, there's, I mean, I think it's a scale of like zero to 180 on all of those. So pretty, pretty wide spectrum. But the two labels that you have seemed to gravitate toward are gifted and twice exceptional yes they are they are when i first got into this world those were the terms that were handed to me when i when i came into this world Mm -hmm. and uh this world of education and i for me i it can it's so easy to get hung up on terminology at first i was like oh gifted that's weird and i remembered like i had been in gifted programs and Mm -hmm. um I had been given that label. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, okay, you know, and, and pretty quickly somebody was like, we're talking about a holistic experience right now. We're not talking about achievement. We're not talking about better. We're talking about different. And I was like, got it. Great. Moving forward. Um, I didn't realize that that, I didn't realize at the time that that term was going to like rub so many people the wrong way. Mm. Gifted? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I might have been naive, but like, to me, it's like, we're talking about kids, we're talking about education, we're talking about serving the child that's in front of us. Um, you know, cognitive differences exist. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's never been about the words that we use. It's about the connections that we have and serving, serving each other. Um, and so, to, you know, when giftedness was explained to me that way, I just was like, okay, moving on. But it was, it was, it holds a lot of charge for people, which is unfortunate because to me, these words are just jumping off points for, for understanding. They are not the end all be all. What is it that gets people so riled up about the term gifted? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's right in the word, right? (laughs) The gift. You have a gift, which means others don't have the gift. Yeah. You've got a special thing. Someone smiled on you and gave you, because gave you this special thing because you're better. And these other people don't have that. That's, that. that's what that word denotes to so many. And, um, and that's like, I could like get hung up on the words and like stall out there. Like I see so many people doing, but that's, but what's interesting to me is the doing, not the thinking. And, and that's, I've always been that way. And so I'm like, okay, that's what we're pulling it. Great. Moving forward. You mm. know, but I also came up with the name for my micro school in about 20 seconds. <laughs> so obviously like names and labels don't mean very yeah, much. Yeah. I, I see you have name. a healthy, dis, you know, non-attachment <laughs> to labels yeah. and you're not yeah, going to no, get I caught just, up in the fray, which is probably a good way to survive. Yeah. And I want, I want you, you too can be like this. Like yeah, everybody you too in the whole, care whole world. Yeah. You yeah. too cannot just care. Just care about the child. You're, you're, 
hanging out with. Yeah, just do that. And it's going to be all good. <laughs> uh, what about people who, uh, I, I bet most people have an idea of what giftedness looks like. Uh, I think mm-hmm. twice exceptional is still a fairly new term. So what is twice exceptional? Yeah, yeah twice exceptional is, uh, so people define it as gifted with a learning difference. Um, when kids, so are sort of like, hmm, our, our neuro capacity is measured often through IQ tests, which mm-hmm. create a bell curve of abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes people say twice exceptional kids have, uh, cognitive differences on both sides of the bell curve. Um, one high and one low. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and then, and then you can you can zoom out even farther and go back to that original thing that we were just talking about about people having this experience that's outside of the norm that's measurably so in terms of their ability to uh, to to move to to move through the world with with ease and and grace, which is a, a social metric, your ability to yeah, connect yeah, with yeah, other people yeah, yeah. to understand social cues to. Um, that's good, Blake. A social metric. I like that. Uh, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so when you were talking about someone who's twice exceptional, does that often mean that they have a have a gift? They are gifted in the the yeah. sense that many of us are familiar with the term, but they also might have I, I don't know. Would it mean that they might also have um, some diagnosis on the autism spectrum or ADD or dyslexia? I'm just looking at my list here of all these labels. Or like processing speed. So like getting real, if you want to get super granular about it, you, a lot of my students have like very, and we're talking about sub whisked subtests, IQ test subtests. Um, some kids have like amazing, um, verbal reasoning, but then, you know, very like a higher than average verbal reasoning scores, but then, um, lower than average processing speed. And so there's this schism of brain processes happening and, um, and that's what creates this, the kind of like very different experience of the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And I say, and so, then, then like very simply, like I can say my students have abilities that are beyond, typically beyond their age and behind their age. And, um, and that's, that's true as well. I want to bridge into talking about how this world overlaps with the world of school. Yeah. And I want to start with, uh, in your experience, what are the kind of challenges that neurodivergent kids experience in a typical school classroom? And, mm-hmm. and how are those dealt with by the, mm-hmm. the, the adults who work there? So your typical, your conventional classroom is designed to meet the needs in the middle which we now realize actually meets the needs of no one. But it's a standardized sort of experience that is meant to be very average, um, to create an average in the classroom. And so my students just starting out, they're not that. They're, they're living on the, they're on the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not in the middle. They're on either the front end or the back end, depending on what abilities are you know, what abilities we're talking about. And so just from the, from the first second when they get in there, it's just not made for them. Mm. And, um, I mean, we all know what happens when we're in a situation that's not for us, 
you know, we, we, we develop sort of unhealthy coping mechanisms for getting through. We, um, feel isolated, alienated. Um, and that's just kind of social emotional. Also, you know, they're just, I mean, let's talk about what school's actually for, which is like learning and like, you know, the development of knowledge and, um, that's not being delivered or offered in a way that works for them either. So it's just from one side to the other, the classroom is not designed for them. Um, and you could go on to have a larger conversation about how the classroom's not designed for anyone. But mm. I, you know, I mean, going back, I, I serve a certain kind of student, so that's what I feel comfortable speaking mm-hmm. on. And um, students in well-resourced schools often have a, a lot of, additional assistance. Maybe they're called learning specialists. Maybe they're, you know, classroom mm-hmm. helpers. Uh, just imagine for me the most uh, well-funded public or private school. Um, but it's still, it's a t- typical school with, you know, class sizes between 20 and 30, um, academic curriculum. Um, even with all of that support, what kind of issues do, do the students who you work with tend to struggle with? Well, there's just not, well, firstly, it's there's that people when they go to like teacher training school, the, these, these, these children who are developing asynchronously are never addressed. So we Mm. aren't preparing professionals to even identify these students. Is there any sort of professional training or development that that's offered? You know, there's a place called Bridges down in Southern California and they're starting to offer institutes and Mm. teacher trainings. And I'm so happy. And I, I really want to go to one. Um, yeah, I'm just so happy that they're doing that. And um, and other than that, like, I don't think so. Like, I, I mean, maybe if somebody knows something out there, like, please tell me. But, um, but I don't think so. So there's, sort of like, there's that. And then, you know, backing up to what you and I were talking about a little bit earlier, in which I was saying, like, yes, we all, everyone has had, um, has had contact with a neurodivergent child or with the neurodivergent children. It's just that a lot of these sort of differences are invisible and they present as behavior that seems maladaptive. And so it invites a lot of judgment from adults because it's not how you should be. Um, it's not polite. It's not, it's not, um, it doesn't fall in line with our sort of shared social customs. Hmm. And so, I mean, a lot of teachers are just like, that kid isn't parented correctly. That oof, kid isn't, oof. you know, that, yeah. So like super hurtful, you know, lots of damage done because professionals are not trained to identify these children. And so they just kind of put them in a category of lazy, defiant, um, that kind of thing. Or a, a catch-all special needs classroom, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, that too. So they'll just go straight for complete remediation. And um, that's not, that's not what my kids, my kids don't need things to go slower. They need things to go differently. (laughs) Hmm. So this is really a situation that demands one on one or very small group um, staff to to student ratio. My students need every, uh, everything differentiated bridges. Um, that school I mentioned um, down in Southern California, they talk about dual differentiation. 
So it's not even just differentiation, it's dual differentiation where I'm not, I'm differentiating for your child's giftedness and for their differences, which giftedness is a difference. So I just contradicted myself a little bit there, (laughs) but, um, but I'm, I guess what I could say is I'm differentiating for their abilities that are beyond their age. And then I'm differentiating for their abilities that are behind their age. I'm differentiating for their academic ability. I'm also differentiating based on their temperament and how they like to learn and what they like to learn. And that's essential for these kids. And um, it's like a ballet. It really, it's difficult to pull off, but it's also super fun. So, and challenging, fun fun and challenging. So parents or educators who are trying to work with kids like this successfully and have very few opportunities to get any sort of professional training in it, what kind of resources do they end up finding and, and you know, relying upon? Yeah. So it's a lot of kind of comparing. So it's a lot of sort of comparing notes. Um, like what did, did this work for you? No, this worked for me. <laughs> you know, so like it's all, you find your people and you kind of compare notes with them. Um, there are, there, you know, there are starting to more and more books are coming on the scene that address these, that address this issue, even if they don't call it neurodivergence. Um, Dr. Ross Green, he has some really wonderful information out there for people to understand how to, um, work with children that have differences from a peaceful collaborative way, which I, which is how, what I believe in, um, and that's what we do at Sunnyside. Um, yeah, so it's really just kind of like finding, you know, there's my blog. Um, there's some more books coming out on the scene. There's also a place called the Gifted Homeschoolers Forum, which is not just for homeschoolers and not just for gifted people. Uh, good to know. <laughs> it's also, they, all, they believe in an education that works for everybody, whatever that looks like, Right. That, that sounds like a politician believe, could have said that. So it puts well, me on guard immediately. <laughs> well, I mean, basically they just want people to know they, that you, we want the education that works for your kid and for your family. You, you and, and so you're welcome here. You know, you're welcome to come and participate in our discussions and um, benefit from our resources. And so, because a lot of people, I think, see that term and they're like, oh, that's not for me because I don't homeschool. It is for you because we have lots of information about giftedness and twice exceptional um, kind of life and, and we want you to benefit from those. It sounds like there's a lot of reading involved, uh, a lot of sleuthing of blogs and books and yes. finding other parents, networking, very uh, yes. notes, as you said. Um, yeah. It sounds like this is something that the internet has really enabled um, parents to be absolutely absolutely yeah yeah I want to talk a little bit about homeschooling since you brought up the gifted homeschoolers forum Um, Mm -hmm. I imagine if you want to completely differentiate instruction uh, if you want to provide a completely individualized experience a lot of parents will turn to homeschooling Um, that's right and and how have you seen that work well and how have you seen that not work well I think that it's a lot of pressure on parents. Um, Unfortunately, you know, and you could like, you could back up and talk about the ways that parents aren't supported in our current kind of economic structure and societal structure. Um, 
And so because of that, so much pressure falls on the parents to do the educating and to make sure all the needs are met. Um, and, you know, my type of student has a unique constellation of needs and an urgency behind those needs that can be all encompassing. And so, um, it's less about ability and more about energy level and what is, what's possible from one, what's, what's possible to transfer from one person to another, um, holistically not just academically. And so, um, yeah, I think that, I think that that's, that's kind of one of the sticking points and that's why kind of homeschool centers and park days and co-ops and all of those things exist. So it can become more of a community effort rather than all of the responsibility falling mm -hmm. on the parent to child connection. So it works better when you're homeschooling as part of a community with other parents, other kids, uh, re you know, resources, support, instead of atomistic, individual, totally by yourself type of homeschooling? I think so. I mean... <laughs> I, I think everyone thinks so. I think yeah, so. You know, I but, don't want to like... I'm sure there's like one person out there that's like, no, that's not No, fast. I do it fine by and, myself. I don't need anyone. Yeah, and that's great. Good for you. <laughs> you know? So, but most people in most cases... They, um, they know that that added support is, is, is a necessary part of homeschooling. Hmm. I imagine it must be a challenge for more rural families or families who perhaps live in countries where there's very few other homeschoolers and, yeah. and your only option is the local public school or to be a, a very isolated homeschooler. Yeah. Um, that's wild to me. Yeah. I mean, it's hard <laughs> enough. I, I know lots of of young people who homeschool in very remote situations. And it's already yeah. hard enough just to, to meet basic social needs. And uh, so to add a, another layer onto that, I'm sure must be um, yeah. extremely challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so one, so we're talking about having community in the homeschooling world as one way to, to ease the burden, but also uh, you you don't work primarily with homeschoolers, as far as I understand. You, you're you in the micro-schooling movement. Yeah, yeah. But are, which, are these kids homeschoolers who are coming to micro-schools? This is, a lot this is of still time. Un unclear. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of the time. Um, I work with kids who were previously homeschooled and are still homeschooled part-time. And then I work with kids that come to me from conventional school because conventional school is just not working. And parents are looking for something different, okay. so more tailored of, to their kids. A little bit of Dory. So it's a little, little bit, bit of both. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so, Which is great. And so micro schools, as you defined them earlier, are small communities. Um, they're often part-time. So you can build this a la carte um, series of classes or experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, depending. Yep. And so... Does just this fact of of smallness make micro schools inherently better places for, for neurodivergent <laughs> kids? Is is that the secret? In the I sauce? think so. I think so. I I think so because what am I? So there's sort of like um, there's threads of connection amongst neurodivergent kids, and one of them is like sensory stimulus and being highly highly sensitive to mm. sensory stimulus. So just the lighting, the noise, and the clutter of a conventional classroom. It's like what, they walk in the door and they're already set up for pain. Mm. And so um, in a smaller environment, I'm able to keep things, you know, more sort of sensory safe. 
for, for students. And when you just address that need right there, um, so much can happen. So much unfolds in a, a really, a really fantastic way. Hmm. Um, and that's, you know, you put 30 kids in a room, it's going to be loud, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and that's just the nature of it. Um, and so, but if you put 10 kids in a room, it's much more reasonable. Do you think if public schools were massively more funded and they could make 10 kids in a room the norm instead of 30 and make these changes to the, the environment, the lighting, um, soundproofing perhaps? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that, that public <clears throat> schools could, could adequately serve the role that micro schools serve? <laughs> Big question I mean, here, Jade. Big yeah. question. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, the first, the first association I had when you were asking me that question is if public schools were well-funded, I think public schools are funded. It's Ooh. just the funding goes to the wrong people. Mm. You know, it goes to the wrong reasons. It goes to, it goes to McGraw Hill, you know, it goes to Pearson's, it goes to superintendents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, you know, obviously you can tell there's a charge in my voice about it because I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a big injustice to the youth and to the, to the family, to the a family structure, um, the family unit. And so I feel, yeah, so there's that. And then, yes, I guess it's really, I mean, but it's like, unicorns might be real i don't know you know what i mean like, like uh, you know like sure if every if bunch of people if a mass like there's a mass movement of people who just all sort of woke up and were like we're not doing this there's a better way we're gonna put we're gonna highly train you know individuals and then we're gonna trust them and we're gonna give them 10 kids and we're gonna say this is what these kids need can you meet those needs in a way that works for everyone in a way that works for you too yes okay cool here's some money go like that would be you know that would be great Mm. but um i I imagine you're not sitting around waiting for that to happen in the same way you're not waiting for the unicorn to show up and start no absolutely not yeah yeah absolutely not um so for now in our current world that we live in you are running sunnyside micro school in oakland uh can you give us just the basic rundown how many students do you have how often are they at Sunnyside? What does your physical facility look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Sunnyside Micro School, one of the ways we keep costs lower, we actually cost less than a lot of daycares in the area, mm. a lot of preschools in the area, which is something I'm very proud of. Um, <clears throat> one of the ways we keep costs low is that we share space with, and this is hilarious to me, you'll love this, Blake. Mm. We share space with an SAT prep and with a tutoring center. God, that's great. <laughs> I love it. That's my favorite part of this entire episode right there. <laughs> so it's like, but you, but you, I talk with them all the time where they're like, go girl. Like, this is messed up. Like, we don't, you know, like yeah. they, they're on board. They, they got what I was doing right away. And they were like, yes, we want to support you. And so I think that's really neat. Yeah. And, and um, to the credit of those kinds of centers, they usually have e- extremely small uh, staff to student ratios. I worked at one right. in college. And so they, they are doing something right, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and so so while we share space with them. They don't use their space during the day. They work on afternoons and weekends. 
So, um, so that's one thing that we do. Um, <clears throat> we have seven to 10 students on any given day. Um, we have kind of just a normal day where you, it's eight to three, um, kids show up. We are a project-based STEM-based school. We're also very creative and divergent. So, um, so everything, I should start calling us an interdisciplinary school because it seems like every, everything anybody does is very, very interdisciplinary in that there's a historical component, there's a language arts component, there's a mathematics component, a creative component. Um, it's just a very interdisciplinary, uh, holistic experience at, at Sunnyside. Um, Monday through Friday, 8 to 3, we have open work periods that are project-based. Um, we create a container in that project-based um, space through the use of menus that kids, so we work thematically and there are menus and kids can choose projects. And there's always a free choice um, as well. Um, we also lean heavily on the design thinking framework as a social emotional tool. So we're always kind of failing forward and we're iterating actually, it's not even failure. <clears throat> you're in the san francisco bay area you, you have to speak like that otherwise no one will listen to you <laughs> I, jade i'm also picking do up i not some... make sense <laughs> no you do you do um, oh, okay I, i'm also picking up some montessori overtones here some prepared totally environment so stuff. i'm montessori certified uh -huh. and um my other teacher is montessori certified um so there is that kind of we look for readiness um, we work in partnership with the kids and we want to get, we presume competence and give them a lot, a lot of freedom and, and individual, individualized um, attention. And something that makes us special, I think, is that there is the opportunity to work one-on-one -on -one with an educator in math and language arts. So I take care of math. And then an education therapist that we work with um, comes in and works one-on-one -on -one with the students in language arts. And, um, and the kids just love it. They really thrive. They're, the growth that we've seen and the happiness and the expansion and the kind of increase in flexible thinking that we saw over the year, over the and also deep connection with intrinsic motivation is just, it's just, I, it's, it's better than I ever hoped. And, um, and so that's kind of what, who we are. That's what we do. So back earlier when I read off all these labels, gifted, twice exceptional, autism, ADD, dyslexia, mm -hmm. epilepsy, do students who might be labeled in any of these ways, do, do they have a home at Sunnyside? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of our students are gifted or twice exceptional, um, neurodivergent. Um, Is that a condition? They all have abilities that in? are... Will you take a neurotypical I mean, kid? Do you discriminate discriminate against neurotypical <laughs> you're kids? You're funny. You're funny. Yeah, all that discrimination against neurotypical kids yeah, out right. there. Um, <clears throat> I mean, to, I don't... So things like testing, but testing is a privilege. Testing is usually done privately, and it's very, very expensive. And so for me, I've been working with my kind of student for 12 years now. If you bring me, I, I can, you know, more often than not, I can see a neurodivergent kid coming a mile away. And so if it's really about temperament fit, 
It's about, do you mm. want to be there? It's about, are you able, are you willing, are you interested in connecting with me? Is it, are you willing to have me try to connect with you? Um, those are the things that create, those are, those are the questions that need to be answered in order to understand if you're going to be, you know, truly served by what we do. I imagine you don't consider yourself similar to a democratic free school or a similar t- institution where kids can show up and and choose to do nothing as long as they're not really bothering anyone else um, mm-hmm. if, if they so mm-hmm. please. Um, it, it sounds like you're project oriented, there's free time, but you need to be working on something. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> The tem- the democratic free school sort of Sudbury model mm-hmm. is great, and it's serving um, it's serving children in a way that I'm I think is really wonderful and great. Um, my students, because of their neurodivergence, can become unhealthily avoidant of certain tasks or of developing certain abilities, and that's because of well, that's because of a lot of things. It usually, a right it's. It's usually put under the catch-all of anxiety. And so I have to, then this is, this, is, this is specific to my learning environment, and that's why my learning environment serves a specific type of child. Um, I walk a line between, okay, what is you, what is you making a self-connected choice to not participate right now? What is the self-connected no thank you? And what is you avoiding out of anxiety or out of unhealthy coping mechanisms that aren't serving you? And so I'm constantly sort of having to dance between those two things as the educator in the classroom. And, um, be, and you, I mean, I think you can see like one of those things is very healthy and we want to support that and accommodate that. And then the other is, okay, like we need to come together and, and, and work and work together about how to help you feel more, how the, and by saying you, the student, how to help you feel good about stretching and mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. and exploring and opening up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. What do you the, think about that? Yeah, okay. the, there's no easy solution. Um, I, yeah, I, I play with that dynamic uh, often with the young people who I work with. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I also was very swayed by this beautiful vision, especially at the Sudbury Valley School, um, mm-hmm. early in my, my career in alternative education. And but it also presumes a a certain type of mind. Um, yeah, going into yeah. that setting um, with I I guess the best way to say would be very high executive function. Um, yeah. And that's the goal, right? Like mm-hmm. every, any student that leaves my learning environment then moves on to like a democratic free school Sudbury type situation and like thrives there. I'm like, yes, we did it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's the goal is to be able to thrive in an environment like that in my mind. I have one last question for you, Jade. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself neurodivergent? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, I definitely do. And it's been kind of a, it's a winding road for me. So was identified as gifted, placed in gifted programs, but really didn't fit in there, was kind of um, definitely one of the stranger children in those um, in those environments and that my gifts did not present themselves as like, 
high achieving necessarily. Mm. <laughs> highly um, academically achieving in, in the traditional yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we know something's going on with this kid, but we're not sure what. <laughs> so, so, um, so that, uh, had a difficult time with, had a difficult time reading in high school. So there's this concept of stealth dyslexia to make things more complicated, Ooh. which, yeah. So when you have kind of, um, abilities beyond your, beyond your age, a lot of students will use those to compensate for what abilities they have behind their age. So I was heavily, heavily compensating for my ability to read all through, um, all through elementary school and middle school and getting by until high school came and you had to start reading proper literature. And it became quite challenging for me. I did it. It was great. I enjoyed Fahrenheit 451, <laughs> you know, but like, but um, it was, it was, it was surprisingly challenging. And then I went on to, um, I went on to, and I can see that now because my creative writing was poetry and it was very experiment. I loved experimental fiction and experimental poetry. And I can see now how my dyslexic mind kind of led me there. Mm. Um, and then when I got into college, I just was bombing every test, even though I would do great in workshops and on homework, I was bombing every test. Mm. And my professor sweetly asked me to come into her office and she said, I'm going to give you this test. I'm going to give you this test orally and we're just going to have a conversation and we don't worry about this other stuff. And she's like, okay, what do you think about orthogonal? Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, you're talking about this? Oh, well, this is how this works. And that's how this works. And this is what this means. And she looked at me. I remember, I'll never forget her face and because she, she's British. And so she had this really great accent. And she was like, Jade. I'm not even going to try to do that. Oh, man. She's I like, was looking forward to that. <laughs> she was like, Jade you have a learning disability. <laughs> but it was so sweet. Like I could tell she was just like flummoxed. Huh. She was like, she couldn't believe it. And she's like, what are you, what are you going to do about this? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, well, we can like try to figure something out for you. Like we could try to like get, you know, testing or something. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Like, you know what I can do. And luckily at Evergreen, it's evaluations. It's not great. Yeah, that's right. And so um, I'm like, you know what I can do. And I know what I can do. So can we just, can that just be good enough for now, please? And she was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I just moved forward there with that kind of like understanding kind of in my hat band. And then when I came into micro schools and you know, unconventional education and started working with other kids who were twice exceptional, who were not neurodivergent and dyslexic. And I saw the struggles that they had and how they kind of moved through the world and how similar it was to me and how I moved through the world. I was, I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Like, I guess I'm dyslexic. <laughs> um, and, and, and just kind of accepted that. And, um, it, a lot of, once I started to understand that a lot of things fell into place, oh, that's why I'm like that. Oh, that's why I'm like this. And that's why understanding this stuff is so important because I just thought I was weird. Like, I just mm -hmm. thought I was messed up. There are times in my life where I thought I was like, I'm just a broken person, mm. you know, not to get too deep with it. But like, I thought I, I thought I had problems for a while there. 
And then I got into this unconventional education and started to see what it was to be 2E, to be neurodivergent and to be dyslexic. And I was like, oh, okay, if I just make these subtle shifts into my life, everything's great. Boom. Taken care of. <laughs> that's a really inspirational message. I think oh. that's, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. And uh, if people want to find more about uh, Sunnyside Microschool, they can just Google you, I assume. Yeah, um, Jaden Rivera, SunnysideMicroschool.com. I'm all over the place. I'm all yeah. over the you have, social you have a great medias, homepage. everything. Yep. Thank Just you. Thanks. Googling Jaden Rivera. And your book is on Amazon and, and other places. Uh, Micro That's Schools right. Creating Personalized Learning on a Budget. It has a lot of five-star reviews. I just saw that. Uh, oh. You have some fans out there in, in the, the interwebs. People have been really sweet. Yeah. Uh, Jade, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. Bye. Bye.